out of paper, out of stock. There's friendly faces around the block. Break loose from the chains that are causing you pain. Call Michael and Stanley, Jim Dwight Creek. Celebrate good times. Come on, let's no. celebrate diversity, right? Let's celebrate diversity. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. This episode of Out of Paper is going to be covering episode two of The Office, Diversity Day. We're brought to you by Diversity Tomorrow because today is almost over. Today is almost over. <laughs> I'm Dan. And I'm Rob. How you guys doing? As you said, Rob, we're talking about diversity today. We got to celebrate it. Yeah. It's like the Cool and the Gang song. Exactly. Off the album Celebrate, released in 1980. You know how I know that? I don't. I have it on vinyl. Hey. First pressing. We should have listened to that before we started recording to kind of get into the mood, you know? Yeah. It's not my favorite Cool and the Gang song, but yeah, maybe we should have. Maybe we'll put it at the end. Hey. hey. Not a bad idea. Close out the show with it. There you go. All right. Um, so before we dive into the episode today, we are going to talk about some news, are we not? Oh, we are. Yeah. And there's big news. Uh, there's big news from last week that we could mention this week, even though we don't have it in our outline. Space Force. That's right. Yeah. Donald Trump is going to make America great again with Space Force. No, that's not, no. That's not, the, that's news. not the news at all. But based on that absolutely ludicrous idea, there is going to be a... Hopefully amazing new show spearheaded by Steve Carell and Greg Daniels about Space Force. Space Force, yeah. I and, don't uh, know. Is it going to be a workplace comedy? I guess they've been pretty vague. It has been vague. We don't know yet. But yeah. it is Greg Daniels and Steve Carell back together again. And that's exciting no matter what. Right. I mean, that's like Larry David and Jerry Seinfeld getting back together again. <laughs> yeah. Paul, well, maybe not Paul, quite. But. Paul McCartney, John Lennon. <laughs> yeah. We should we should get them back together. Whatever happened to John Lennon? You don't hear much from him <laughs> nowadays. <laughs> oh, poor John. Yeah. And there's even more big news. Yes. So there was also a news article put out that has said that The Office is the most streamed TV show on the internet. Right. That wasn't even the news I thought we were about to dive into, but that is big news too. Yeah. And as such, because of its popularity... We found out also they're making a documentary called That's What She Said. And they said too. And they said too. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> part of the title. Uh, apparently it was leaked from an email that uh, Bob Vance, whose name I feel like we should be able to say his actual name. Bob Vance, circuit judge. That's not it. Robert R. Schaefer. So I guess Robert R. Schaefer, who plays Bob Vance, character we'll get to meet in the office advanced refrigerations <laughs> um got this email that uh they're going to be diving into the history of the office and have anecdotes from the cast the crew the creators fandom culture and how the show successfully addressed larger social issues of the time yeah i'm super stoked me too it's too bad we didn't start this podcast like several years ago or you know we could be part of the yeah. fandom culture maybe we would have been in it maybe we could have been interviewed yeah we could have had the eight people that are going to listen to this podcast lobby on our behalf <laughs> <laughs> or maybe yeah. more there's literally dozens of us well, but I yeah either way exciting maybe if they ever do another 
documentary one day you know we could uh get in there assuming anyone listens to this so to all the five people listening to this right now yeah. if each of you tells two people each of those people tells two people and uh we'd really uh we'd really be picking up steam then yeah it's not a pyramid scheme not a pyramid scheme no no nothing like that <laughs> <laughs> you start with one person at the bottom you work your way up so <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, I had a coworker try to get me into a pyramid scheme. The what? shop shop dot com. What is that? I don't know. Uh well that's probably for the best. Yeah, of course I didn't you know. As soon as he started talking to me about it, I was like, Yeah, I know exactly what this is and I'm not not interested in buying your multivitamins off shop dot com. Oh. One of those things. Yeah. I mean shop dot com has more than just like, you know, they're trying to be like an alternative Amazon, but ah. their business model is a pyramid scheme style. They have a knife that could cut through a shoe. Maybe mm. I don't know. I haven't. Uh, <laughs> I haven't. I haven't dove that deep into Shop. dot com's inventory. That could be something we do after we record. You know, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, yeah. Probably not. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think. That's Although I, I do wish there was a viable alternative to Amazon. Yeah, that would be great because, you know. Oh, I know. You know. Yeah. I don't need to explain myself. The second uh, I had the shipping issues, that latest thing I just ordered, I was kicking myself. I was like, why didn't I go back to Newegg again? Like, <laughs> last time Amazon let me down, I did that. True. And I completely forgot about it. Yeah. That's how they get you. That's how they get you. Yeah. So, is this podcast brought to you by Amazon today or something? What's going on here? <laughs> i wouldn't necessarily say that was a ringing endorsement for amazon so. that's true and you know what amazon if you don't want much more of that over the years uh <laughs> you might want to start kicking us a little money and then we could say nice things about you yeah bezos the balls are in your court <laughs> <laughs> my how the turntables <laughs> <laughs> anyway and with that yeah, moving on to episode two, Diversity Day, directed by Ken Quapi. Quapis. 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 <laughs> Written by uh, none other than BJ Novak or Ryan the Temp. Ryan Howard. Yeah. The one and only. Yeah, that's a lot of work for a temp. That's right. And uh, this episode first aired on March 29th, 2005. And it's also worth noting that this episode was nominated for the Writers Guild of America Award for Best Episodic Comedy. Wow. Yeah. Right? So I guess BJ Novak knows what he's doing. It's kind of crazy that the second episode of a show would, you know, you know, mo most shows it takes, you know, at least five or six episodes to really get in the swing of things. Yeah, that's true. You know, and it's just impressive. And while I feel like, I don't know how you feel about it personally, I feel like this episode still, it's not quite like, you know, peak office level of when they really get into their groove, but it's still no. a very solid episode. It's a lot of fun and it's, uh, it definitely has a big tonal shift from the first one where they, you know, you can tell they're making it their own a lot more than they did with right. the ones yeah. from the British version. They don't really, yeah, they don't follow the the British template as much in this one. So. Yeah, and no, I mean, they completely move away from it. Actually, apparently, I was reading that uh, there is an episode in the British office where a corporate consultant comes in, and there's similar back and forth between David and the consultant as there is to Michael and Mr. Brown in this episode. Interesting. So, But the whole episode isn't 
based around it just certain interactions yeah i feel like i actually saw that episode maybe a few years back and uh yeah yeah and i definitely remember a little bit of it and it wasn't the focus but yeah. and it wasn't the second episode of the series i don't think that mm-hmm. it was just this just so happens to mirror that loosely in the second episode of the u.s office so and i feel like david brent is also kind of more racist than michael scott i mean it's both like that kind of inadvertent insensitive racism but uh he's a little more self-aware david brent yeah that's michael true scott. i feel like michael scott says and does very racist things but like it ne- it never registers as that like, right yeah david brent doesn't maybe personally feel that what he's doing or saying is racist but he definitely knows that other people might not get that right there is an episode way down the line where michael scott and david brent meet and uh <laughs> they have a little bit of a racist experience. yeah they kind of talk about how racist humor has nothing to do with you know demeaning someone of a different race it's right. not what it's about and uh they don't really delve into that at all they just kind of it's mention where, it. it's where the brain goes to tickle itself that's what she said <laughs> <laughs> uh, don't you mean <laughs> yeah yeah ricky gervais's laugh it's like the most obnoxious sound on earth yeah so anyway, let's do a deep dive into B.J. Novak. Sounds great. Whose real name is Benjamin Joseph Manley Novak. Manley. Manley, yeah. I don't know how that's pronounced, really, but... It almost makes me think of, like, George's fake Seinfeld name, Vandalay. Vandalay, yeah. yeah. Uh, he's an American actor, writer, comedian, producer, and director. He's one of the writers and executive producers of the office from 2005 to 2013 so the whole run of the show yeah he also played ryan howard throughout that time obviously (laughs) born and raised in newton massachusetts his father co-edited the big book of jewish humor (laughs) and has ghost written memoirs for nancy reagan lee iacocca and magic johnson huh isn't that interesting well, here's to Lee Iacocca and his failed experiment, <laughs> the DeLorean. DeLorean. <laughs> <laughs> um, this, I found this funny. His parents also established a Jewish matchmaking service. Huh. So I used to work for a woman just doing basic accounting stuff. She ran a farmer's market kind of thing. And I don't know how she got it in her head that I knew how to program apps, but she wanted me to make a matchmaking app specifically for jewish people wow so did you do it i mean i told her i would look into (laughs) the mechanisms behind (laughs) making an app like that but i have no programming experience so yeah unless i wanted to start from you know literally the ground floor it wasn't going to happen in a timely manner so i basically just told her i couldn't do it still still wouldn't be able to do it yeah, that yeah. happens. Yeah. But in another life, you could have been the founder of JDate or co-founder. And the thing is, is I'm 90% positive JDate already existed at the time. Oh, well. I'm not sure that they had a prominent smartphone app. Do they now? I don't I, know I have that no much idea. about JDate. <laughs> I don't know if I'm allowed I don't on. think smartphones were a thing I don't back th- when this... Uh, uh, how long ago was this? No, they were, but they, oh, were, okay. in, they were still in early stages. This was... After I had moved out of Orlando. Oh, okay. Yeah. I thought for some reason this was like that period during college where you just like 
randomly had this full-time office job out of nowhere and oh yeah did that for a while no this wasn't an, even an office uh, job it was a gig i found on craigslist uh, okay some woman was just like i need someone to go through receipts and you know set up spreadsheets and and, and put these things in the quickbooks and i was like yeah you know i didn't i had a job doing uh video and audio editing but but at the time i was looking for anything at that point so makes sense moving on he attended Newton South High School with future office co-star John Krasinski. Right. And they both graduated in 1997. Yeah. Not sure if they were friends or not, but... Yeah. Possible they knew of each other. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure they at least knew of each other, if not knew each other. Right. And then he went to Harvard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Graduated from there in 2001. Tight four. Yeah. Tight four years there. <laughs> I imagine there's not that many people in the Ivy League schools uh, doing victory laps. Yeah, that's true. Unless their parents are really, really rich and they're pretty worthless. Yeah, it looks like he was a member of Harvard Lampoon and the Hasty Pudding Club, whatever that is. <laughs> <laughs> he majored in English and Spanish literature, and uh, then he moved to L.A. after graduating. He started working as a stand-up, and uh Wow. Only two years after he started working as a stand-up, he was named one of Variety's 10 Comedians to Watch. Yeah, top 10. 2003. Yeah. Yeah. He was a writer for the short-lived WB sitcom Raising Dad, Hmm. which I personally have never heard of. Me neither. (laughs) He performed on Comedy Central's Premium Blend and Late Night with Conan O'Brien. Looks like his TV acting career began on Punked. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, it kind of ties into last episode when, you know, Michael asks Ryan if he likes, uh, you know, punked the Jamie Kennedy experiment. (laughs) I always love when shows have like a weird crossover where there's an actor in the show that is like an actor in something else that's incorporated in the show, but they just never reference that. Right. Like I know it's like they're in a weird I don't even know how to put it crossover universe or something. Yeah. It's always just funny to think about the logic of it. Like I know one of my favorite bits of trivia about Seinfeld is, uh, I don't remember the movie off the top of my head, but there's a movie that's on Jerry's, uh, you know, like stand of VHS uh, tapes that he has in his apartment. And it stars both Julia Louis Dreyfus and Jason Alexander in it. And he just always has the title prominently displayed on his shelf. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, I wonder how that works if any of these people pop in those movies. And they're like, hey, wait. <laughs> <laughs> so as a result of uh, BJ Novak's stand-up comedy, Greg Daniels was at one of his shows. And after hearing the opening joke, he, he decided that he wanted to do something with BJ Novak. And uh, that, that's probably how they got together to do The Office. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, a fortuitous meeting of the minds right bj novak is also close friends with mindy kaling who plays kelly in the show and is also one of the main writers yeah and they dated years on and off in real life and in the show which is interesting yeah kind of like yeah just like they did in the show it looks like he served as a consulting producer uh for season one of the mindy project which is mindy kaling's you know post office show which is also great if uh, anybody hasn't seen or heard of that. It is. And uh, BJ Novak's brother does the music for the Mindy Project and the show Bojack Horseman on Netflix. Oh, wow. Yeah, isn't that crazy? That is crazy. Yeah. And uh, 
I can't think of the music for the Mindy Project specifically in my head, but the music from Bojack Horseman is fantastic. Yeah, really good. That guy's really talented. I know. Very impressive. But anyway, the episode opens with a Michael talking head scene talking about Diversity Day and uh, talks about the guest speaker that's coming in and is really excited about it apparently and has been pushing for it. But uh, corporate beat him to the punch, and he didn't yeah. even get a chance. <laughs> didn't even get a chance to talk to corporate about it. But he does feel that it's it's uh, very important. Yes, although I'm sure if someone asked him why he felt it was very important, he would not have much of an answer. Either that, or he would do one of his rambling. He starts a sentence and doesn't know where it's going to end, and just <laughs> keeps it going. Uh, throughout the episode, Jim is trying to make one of his uh, biggest sales regular sales it uh accounts for 25 percent of his commission yeah he struggles to make this sale throughout the episode as we'll see dwight begins shredding uh his sales reports i like the little detail that before he starts shredding them he uh goes over them like classifying them with like a black marker line by line (laughs) (laughs) yeah which I guess, you know, if I, I can't imagine why his clients would really care about that level of security, but certainly I mean, nobody can accuse Dwight of, you know. That's assuming that he's protecting his clients and not himself. That's true, but I imagine most of his sales reports would have to do with his sales. And, mm, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, unless it's, it was like his diary funny. or something. <laughs> like anyone's going to grab his shredded paper and try to piece it together. No, never. Of course not. Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, Dwight's a very security-minded person. <laughs> he's part of, he's the volunteer sheriff's deputy. Mm-hmm. He's part of the Knights of the Night. <laughs> <laughs> so the sale that Jim is trying to make is to his client, Mr. Deckhart. Like I said before, it makes up 25% of his commission for the year. So in order to commemorate the sale every year, he brings in a small bottle of champagne so he can celebrate by himself. I assume it's by himself. Yeah. Yeah. It was a pretty tiny bottle. It was. <laughs> <laughs> I like that he still put tinsel on it on top of it, though, you know, make it look festive. Well, I don't know if he put the tinsel on top. I guess that's true. I think, yeah, I think that's just the packaging. That makes sense. I've never bought a mini bottle of champagne, <laughs> so yeah, I don't know how they sell them, especially not in Scranton. That's, yeah. <laughs> so uh, Pam's playing free sell. Jim walks up to her desk and... She comments he, he suggests a move for her and she's like oh no I don't, i'm waiting i'm waiting on that one because i like to hear the cards go wait was that that was jim not michael i said jim goes up to her desk. oh whoops i was reading and yeah sorry it's okay <laughs> um cut <laughs> michael goes to walk out of his office kind of like looking for the consultant that corporate sent to see if he's coming out of the conference room where he's setting up and uh notices that he's about to come out but isn't coming out quite yet so michael backs up (laughs) into his office again and times it perfectly so that he comes out of his office at the same time mr brown comes out of the conference room yeah and walks right up to oscar hey oscar how you doing man all right you have a good weekend going there Oh, yeah, I bet it was fun. <laughs> oh, hey, this is Oscar. Mar- Martinez. Right. See, right. I don't right. even know. First name basis. Great. Uh, we're all set. Oh, hey, well, diversity, everybody. Let's do it. 
Oscar works in here. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Oscar works in here. Michael's really eager to show off Oscar. Doesn't know his last name of one of his, what, like 12, 15 employees at this point. Right. And uh, also doesn't know what he does. <laughs> it's great. He did last episode, but uh, I guess it, yeah, slipped his mind. Like, how naive would you have to be to think it ever could? <laughs> okay, so Oscar Martinez is played by Oscar Nunez, born in 1958, sometimes credited as Oscar Nunez, and he's a Cuban-American comedian and actor, best known for his role as Oscar in The Office. Do you think there's anything less offensive than Cuban-American that we should call him? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he was a member of the Groundlings. Yeah, improv comedy troupe based yeah. out of Los Angeles. I think a lot of well-known people, none of whom are springing to mind, have come from the Groundlings. But Yeah, I'm not familiar. Yeah, here we are. Uh, it's not about them. He also created and co-starred in the Comedy Central series Halfway Home. You ever see that show? No. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't watch all of it, but I definitely caught a few episodes and it was on. And uh, it was good, and he was good. He was very, very different from Oscar Martinez in it. Really? Oh, yeah. I uh, I don't remember exactly what he was. I want to say he might have been like a like a reformed male prostitute, something like that. Huh. But, yeah, uh, that definitely doesn't sound like uh, the Oscar that we know. No. <laughs> Not at all. And uh, let's see, what else did he do? He's been in a few movies. Uh, he was in Fred the movie. He was in a short-lived USA Network comedy series called Benched. He's been in episodes of Malcolm in the Middle, 24, Curb Your Enthusiasm, Reno 911, The District, and Mad TV. Yeah, he's also been in the movies The Italian Job, uh, the Reno 911 Miami movie. Yeah. And a movie called When Do We Eat? In 2009, he played uh, the role of Ramon, the caterer, stripper, soda jerk, and finally clergy performing the wedding ceremony in The Proposal. Huh. Did you ever see The Proposal? I didn't. I don't even know if I've heard of it. But it sounds interesting to see him taking on a multitude of roles. Well, I think think he was one one character that that that, performed all those different jobs. Interesting. And he's also a regular in the TBS comedy series, People of Earth. Which is, as we discovered last week, also a Greg Daniels show. Yeah. We should probably make it our business to watch that. We should. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that is Oscar. And uh, yeah, he'll become more and more of a uh, series regular as it moves on. I don't even think he had any lines in the first episode. No, not the... Well, no. There was one line when they were talking... Oh, right. he, he He... Brought up to Kevin and Angelo that they should update their resumes in mm-hmm. case the downsizing affects them. Right. But that was it. Yeah, it wasn't a major major part like he is in this episode. Uh, so following that, Jim makes contact with Mr. Deckhart again right before the diversity meeting. So Jim has to hang up and, again, doesn't make the sale. Yeah. And this seems... Uh, I always felt like this was a little weird to me, at least, like, you know, maybe not... By the time the second episode rolls around in the series, but just considering everything we get to know and learn about Jim, that he's such a pushover this episode that every time Michael calls him away from doing his job, he just goes willingly. 
Yeah, the, in real life, there's no way a manager would cut a salesman off from a customer like well, that. Not for not for a simple meeting like that. I guarantee Michael you. Scott. Well, I'm saying. <laughs> I mean. If this were in the real world. Yeah, one would assume that. But again, if if the real world manager were someone like Michael Scott, you know, there's really no telling what they would do. Yeah, I suppose. And I don't even think he knows that that's what he's doing. I feel like when Jim tells him he's on a sales call, you know, I don't even think Michael is hearing the words coming out of his mouth. <laughs> I think he's yeah. just, you know, way too wrapped up into his own thing. That's true. Uh, so the meeting begins. Of course, Michael constantly tries to take control of the meeting, even though... The consultant from corporate is the one running it. Immediately launches into uh, talking about Stanley, the only black person in the office, about how he doesn't see him as a black man. <laughs> He's colorblind. <laughs> and uh, the representative uh, takes issue with that and says, uh, you know, that's just fighting ignorance with more ignorance. And, uh, you know, we don't have to pretend to be colorblind. So Michael tries to start the meeting his own way. <laughs> and how does he do that? Now, here's what we're going to do. Uh, I've noticed that... Uh, uh, you know what? Here's what we're going to do. Why don't we go around and everybody, everybody, say a race that you are attracted to sexually. I will go last. Go. I have two. Nice. White and Indian. Actually, I'd prefer not to start that way. <laughs> We should also mention that uh, right when Dwight pipes up and says, I have two, white and Indian, he stares creepily at uh, Kelly, the only Indian woman in the room well, who's sitting right next to him. No, he doesn't turn to her. It's oh, he Kelly, Kelly who turns to Dwight and looks at Dwight like, Oh, right. <laughs> she's just got she's the, very uncomfortable. Yeah, she's got the <laughs> ew face. And it is Dwight. Yes. Although we do find out later in the show multiple occasions that kelly actually finds dwight attractive bizarrely i don't remember that there's a couple times i mean i I believe you it's just not i think there's one time where she comes out and says that she always thought he was cute or something and then there's a time where she uh gets a little tipsy in an office party and just walks up and kisses him i remember that yeah Hmm. so anyway mr brown obviously is does not want to start his meeting this way so he asks Michael for permission to run the session, hoping that that's going to finally shut Michael up, which just goes to show you he obviously doesn't know who Michael Scott is. No, and this is the first time we see an ongoing trend of Michael when he's confronted with a situation where someone wants to give any kind of presentation and he's expected to be part of the audience. Uh, he just can't handle it. He immediately tries to take over the show, take over the presentation, to yep. just spin it his way that's right uh so mr brown asks that each member of the office write down an incident that offended them asks for volunteers and uh dwight wants to lay down some ground rules yes at the start of the session i'll had you write down an incident uh that you found offensive in the workplace now what i'm going to do is choose one and we're going to act it okay, out a few other ground rules yes. just hey, real quick. hey why don't you run it by me and i'll run it by him okay can we steer away from gay people uh i'm sorry it's an orientation it's not a race plus a lot of other races are also intolerant of gays so paradox well we only have an hour (laughs) (laughs) i love that (laughs) well we only have an hour (laughs) Uh, mr brown is uh taking it back but kind of rolls with it (laughs) yeah Um, i also like dwight's use of the word paradox which uh doesn't really make any sense at all no yeah but (laughs) 
So following this, Michael again tries to jump in and take control, and the representative has to step in again. Why don't we just defer no to case. Mr. Um, Mr. Brown. Ah, oh, all right. Okay, first test. I will not call you that. Well, it's my name. It's not a test. Okay? Um. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we officially meet Mr. Brown, who is played by Ellister L. Wilmore, better known as Larry Wilmore. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a pretty well-known comedian. Uh, he was born on October 30th, 1961. He is a writer, producer, and actor. He was the senior black correspondent on The Daily Show from 2006 to 2014. And I think that's the first time I ever became acquainted with him. I assume yeah. probably you and most people as well. But that's actually, I mean, that came after this episode. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But I know, yeah, I didn't but, watch right, yeah, the show when it first started. Right, neither of us did. Um, he also created the Bernie Mac show. He serves as an executive producer for the ABC television series Blackish, which is also a lot of fun. Good uh, family comedy. And this I didn't know until we were researching for this episode that he's a co-creator for HBO's television series Insecure. Ah, that is interesting. Yeah, I haven't watched any of that. Neither have I. But uh, I, Carrie has, my girlfriend. Uh, is she a fan? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, she likes it. Good to know. Yeah. To, next time I see Carrie, ask her. It makes me want to check it out. Yeah, I feel like usually I... I mean, her tastes, and at least my tastes, don't always run concurrently, mm-hmm. but they usually do. Yeah. And it turns out that Larry Wilmore is also part of our competition because really? he has his own podcast that he started last year called Black on the Air. Huh. It's not really in direct competition with us. Well, let's be a lesson to you, Larry Wilmore. We're taking you down. We're coming for <laughs> We're you. Coming for you. Coming for you, Mr. Brown. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, let's see. So his, yeah. Yeah. His career started in the eighties. Um, he appeared in several small film and television roles, including a recurring role as a police officer on the facts of life. Huh? Mm-hmm. You ever watched the facts of life? I have. Yeah. I, I never watched it regularly, but I've definitely, oh, no. you know, seen it here and there when it was on when we were kids. Yeah. I feel like it was reruns by the time I saw it. Yeah. And I don't even think, I mean, I think it was reruns by the time we were born. Yeah. uh he was also on the writing staff of the talk show into the night with rick dees and i guess he wrote for the sketch comedy show in living color wow along with his younger brother who was also a cast member oh mark wilmore interesting i uh feel like in living color is one of those shows i never really watch but i've wanted to get into it for years it seems like it's really worth just kind of sitting down and going through all of it one day it spawned so many amazing actors yeah and just i mean i feel like it's one of those things too where like a lot of cultural references just in everything will suddenly like make a lot of sense and click into place (laughs) right going through that yeah it's like watching the breakfast club Mm -hmm. suddenly it's like oh i knew all of these things were from something and now i know what they're from right uh he was a bus driver in an episode of sister sister ah which was a show that i watched pretty pretty regularly when i was younger really yeah wow i feel like i mean maybe not regularly but i definitely remember catching episodes as they aired i don't think i caught it every week but maybe it was part of tgif or something i'm not quite sure maybe i know that i definitely you know 
saw some of it too, but never knew when it was on or watched it regularly. Just yeah. kind of caught it here and there as well. Um, and then from there, he went on to be a writer and producer for the Fresh Prince of Bel Air and the Jamie Foxx show. Huh. And it's crazy because my older sister's husband produced a couple seasons of the Fresh Prince of Bel Air. I don't. I'm not sure that they ever worked on it at the same time, but let's get Larry Wilmore in in our next yeah, uh, podcast calling a favor <laughs> it's like he also co-created the animated comedy the pjs with eddie murphy in 1999 he was the producer until it concluded in 2001 he created and produced Whoopi with Whoopi goldberg and from 2005 to 2007 he was a consulting producer on the office um so i guess during the time that he showed up in this episode that's right um, and also, there is another episode where he comes back as Mr. Brown. That's right. It's the gay witch hunt episode. Yeah, first episode of season three. Yeah. And uh, it's implied that he's giving his presentation to the Stanford branch as a result of events that took place at the Scranton branch. Yeah. Because of this, you know. Is it implied or is it inferred? <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, no, he's definitely there because of uh, the events of that episode. So he got the part as Mr. Brown uh, after doing a table read in the writer's room, and they hadn't cast the part yet, but Greg Daniels, after the table read, was really wanted Larry Wilmore to fill the role. They still did auditions for other people, but ultimately he obviously got the role. Honestly, even though it's kind of a you know relatively small part in the grand scheme of The Office, I'm having a hard time imagining anybody else playing Mr. Brown. I feel like yeah, Larry Wilmore, for whatever reason, just his affectations and his voice and even his appearance, just everything, he just is perfectly suited for that role to just, you know, he comes off as a very serious intellectual type that's just there for one specific job. He seems... Fairly sensitive both to Michael's needs and to what he's there to do. And uh, yeah, he's just great. Yeah, he has a level of patience with Michael that I don't think anyone else could really pull off given the circumstances. Yeah, that's what it is too. He comes off almost in his interactions with Michael. It's like a frustrated school teacher with a kid that's acting out. And they know it's just a kid. So they're keeping it together and they're doing their best. But yeah. They're just, yeah, infinitely patient. Right. <laughs> um, and from the get-go, you know, he, we find out he's trying to spare Michael's feelings because he's really only there because of him. Mm -hmm. So we find out that everyone in the conference room, or mostly everyone, wrote down the Chris Rock incident as their uh, example of racism <laughs> in the office. And uh, Well, I think first, doesn't he start by, uh, he asks if people are familiar with the Chris Rock routine and... Everyone raises their hand. He says, okay, that's great, because that's, you know, the one incident that most people wrote down. <laughs> right, right. And then immediately Michael gets a very sour look on his face. He <laughs> turns to the camera, just very disgruntled. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and it cuts to a talking head of Michael complaining <laughs> that Chris Rock can do this routine and Michael can do it with the same comedic timing. <laughs> but for whatever reason, Michael gets in trouble when he does it. Could it be because he's white and Chris is black? <laughs> so Mr. Brown asks everybody, or he asks for volunteers to come up and, and reenact this, this Chris Rock incident. 
Michael leaps at the chance. (laughs) (laughs) I think he literally jumps up out of his seat. Yeah. Oh yeah. He's right back up front. (laughs) And, uh, so Mr. Brown asks if anyone else would want to do it, not the, the perpetrator. And, uh, Kevin offers to be the joke teller. Yeah. (laughs) So, Looking through the cards, I've noticed that many of you wrote down the same incident, which is ironic because it's the exact incident I was brought in here to respond to. Now, how many of you are familiar with the Chris Rock routine? Basically, there are two types of black people, and black people are actually more racist because they hate the other type of black people. See, every time the one type wants to have a good time, then the other type comes in and makes a real mess. I'm, for okay, I'm I'm sorry. I'm I'm sorry. He's he's ruined. He's butchering it. I, I'm. Could you just let me? Every time, every time, black people want to have a good time, some ignorant ass. No, up. No, I no, take care of my kids. No, 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 always want credit for something they supposed to do. Oh God. What you want, a cookie? <laughs> <laughs> I love Larry Wilmore's cry. Stop it! Stop he it. sounds so distraught and so upset. pained by the experience. <laughs> and I gotta say, even though it's obviously uh, pretty offensive for everyone there, Michael Scott's got a pretty good Chris Rock voice. Yeah. I mean, it's, and I it's love, not spot on, I love it's not how, bad. <laughs> I love how in the beginning he has to like ramp up into it. He can't just jump into it. He's got to like ramp up into it because he had had to repeat the beginning (laughs) twice like just to get into the voice so that was amazing yeah Uh, i feel like great great performance by steve carell i love how as kevin is like slowly and plottingly like repeating the joke you could just see the frustration building in (laughs) michael just so quickly as he's just beside himself that he just can't hold his tongue anymore he has to jump up and (laughs) do it right (laughs) so good so, <laughs> and, meeting uh, continues. Mr. Brown's obviously frustrated with Michael. And, uh, yeah, Jim hears the phone ring outside the office and helplessly looks over at it, knowing that he's trapped in this pointless right. meeting. Can't leave. Mr. Brown has a, an acronym for hero that... Well, the acronym is hero. Right, yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> and, uh... What does it stand for? Honesty, empathy, respect, and open-mindedness. But, uh, you know, somebody has a complaint. Dwight, uh, you know, raises his hand to object, says that's not what a hero is. And, uh, you know, Mr. Brown is glad to have somebody, you know, chiming into the conversation. Oh, great. You know, what is a hero to you? And uh, Dwight goes on to explain a hero is somebody that uh, kills people. (laughs) Hero is somebody that, uh, you know has gone through a trauma and uh you know they use powers to uh yeah. the betterment they overcome their <laughs> adversity and yeah yeah and uh mr brown responds i think you're referring to a superhero and dwight very solemnly and seriously responds we all have a hero in our heart <laughs> uh, so then mr brown passes out forms wants everybody to sign it seemingly for for corporate's benefit, so they know that everybody's received their diversity training. And yeah, the forums are very simple. They basically just state, you know, I learned something today, and uh, Michael immediately has a problem. He says he doesn't want to sign the form because he didn't learn anything. He already knew everything they talked about. 
He wonders if maybe he could sign another forum saying he taught something or helped teach something. Helped teach something, <laughs> yeah. So privately, Mr. Brown asks him to step into his office and uh, basically explains that Michael is the only reason that he had to come in to talk and that his signature is the only one that corporate needs to like, you know, move on from his Chris Rock incident. And uh, yeah, he only gave the other people forums just to not single Michael out, make him feel bad. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Michael pretends to be offended that he wasn't actually there to talk about diversity. Yes, I thought you cared about diversity. And uh, he also, he, he still keeps pressing that he doesn't think the office needs a, uh, needed a diversity lecture in the first place because he thinks the office is very racially advanced you know probably so much that it's throwing mr brown off (laughs) (laughs) and uh you know mr brown's having none of it but finally michael concedes and he signs the form but it it wasn't his name that he signed (laughs) yeah we find out uh you know michael reads the form back and uh he signed it daffy duck (laughs) and has a lot of fun imagining how angry mr brown is gonna be when he reads that and he's gonna lose it that's right (laughs) what a petty move to like you don't even it doesn't even mean anything in the end it's just to satisfy like a corporate thing so that corporate's not liable for any future like you know maybe racist cases that anyone brings up against the company because of michael yeah but yeah he's really just making life harder for mr brown yeah (laughs) and then michael uh Comes out of the office and, uh, you know, he has an announcement that he wants to make to the staff about the experience that they just underwent. I pledge to always keep an open mind and an open heart. I do believe in that part of the pledge that I just read. But a pledge? Come on. I mean, who are we? The Girl Scouts? No. Look, the, um, the guy, Mr. Brown, uh, he got us halfway there. He got us talking. Well, no, I got us talking. He got us nothing. He uh, insulted us and he abandoned us. You call that diversity training? I don't. Were there any connections between any of us? Did anyone look each other in the eye? Was there any emotion going on? Were... No. Where was the heart? I didn't see any heart. Where's my Oprah moment? Okay. Get as much done as you can before lunch because uh, afterward, I'm going to have you all in tears. (laughs) (laughs) That definitely meant something different to his employees than it meant for Michael. Yeah. (laughs) Although, uh, it's probably not inaccurate either. (laughs) So following that... We assume that everybody got most of their work done and Michael calls another conference room meeting for his diversity day take two. Yeah. And here we get to meet a employee that we haven't seen yet. Michael's number one adversary. Yeah. As we'll find out, uh, this is the first introduction of Toby Flenderson, the office's HR rep. Hey, we're not all going to sit in circle Indian style, are we? (laughs) Get out. No, this is not a joke. Okay? It was offensive and lame. So double offensive. This is an environment of welcoming. 
and you should just get the hell out of here. Okay, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> I think that might be one of my top ten favorite lines from the entire series. Yeah. It's an environment of welcoming. welcoming. Just so get the hell out of here. Get the hell out of here. <laughs> so that was Toby Flenderson. Yeah. And, uh, he's played by Paul Lieberstein, born in 1967. He's an American actor, screenwriter, television producer. He is a primetime Emmy Award winner. Yes. He's, uh, it? yeah, it was for The Office. Yeah. He's, uh, one of the main writers, producers, um, and, you know, cast members of the entire series. And between seasons five and eight, he was actually the lead showrunner. Yeah. I didn't know that before doing research for this. Yeah. I think that's, uh, I think that was the official reason given as to why he like lost so much weight in that time period too, is he was just super stressed. Yeah. Just constantly working just very hard. Yeah. But yeah, he, uh, is a great foil to Michael throughout the course of the series. Um, Mm -hmm. He never wants anything other than to try to empathize with Michael and become his friend. And, uh, you know, to Michael's credit, he tries once or twice to be Toby's friend, but you know, that's like being friends with an evil snail. You know, it's just killing him inside. <laughs> uh, so Paul Lieberman attended Staples High School, which I doubt is owned by the office supply corporation Staples. Competitors. Uh, uh, <laughs> There he wrote his first sitcom with some friends and played the vibraphone in band. Really? I thought that was pretty cool. What is the vibraphone? It's I like a it it's a mallet it's a mallet instrument with uh it's like a xylophone, only it's kind of like an organ in that it has tubes coming off of the plates that you hit with the mallet. Interesting. Yeah. They're really expensive instruments. Like a decent vibraphone costs in the in the ballpark of like five grand. Wow. Yeah. It's too bad we never get to see Toby play the vibraphone. That would have been like a weird, interesting yeah. little character quirk. It would have been cool if he was playing it with Daryl and the gang when they were doing the song for the ad. Oh, yeah. yeah. That would have been great. But no dice. Nope. Uh, following that, he attended Hamilton College, where he joined the Chai Sai. That's what it looks like. Yeah. Graduated in 1989. Um, the interesting thing about him joining Chai Sai is he wrote in a number of references into the show for Andy Bernard's character being a Chai Sai without directly saying that Andy was in Chai Sai. Interesting. Yeah. I never picked up on that. Well, we but I never knew that. Either, I was going to so, say, we, yeah. we wouldn't have picked up on it because neither of us were in Chai Sai, so we probably wouldn't even get the references. That's true. Yeah. Even if we were in Chai Sai, we still might not. <laughs> That's, yeah. <laughs> And did UCF even have a chapter of Chai Sai? I don't think so. It, ha- it, I bet it was a lot of fun for uh, Paul's uh, fellow classmates who were in Chai Sai to get the references, though. Yeah. yeah little Easter eggs almost just for them. <laughs> <clears throat> so starting his writing career, got an agent, uh, moved to L.A. First writing job was on the show Clarissa Explains It All. Huh. Which... I may, I, it's possible I've watched every episode of that show. Yeah, I'd say it's possible I've watched every episode yeah. of it too. I'm, I don't know. It's been a very long time. Yeah, I, I just remember. It was one of my favorite shows Yeah, on Nickelodeon. I, I was just going to say, like, whenever that show is on, I refuse yeah. to turn off the TV because I love that Ferguson, show. Ferguson, Sam coming in yeah. through the window. 
I can see a lot of Toby in Ferguson. <laughs> Poor Toby. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Ferguson. Yeah. <laughs> just no winners there. He had some short stints on Weird Science and The Naked Truth before his brother-in-law, Greg Daniels. Did you know that? Paul no, I didn't. It, was, yeah. it just is so casually just dropped into the middle of this know. Know, little summary we have. Yeah. So Greg Daniels, his brother-in-law, um, asked him to join the writing staff of King of the Hill. Wow. Yeah. That was uh, Paul's lucky that his sister married Greg Daniels or else. Or maybe Greg Daniels is you know lucky yeah. that he married the sister of Paul. That's, yeah, you're right. I mean, at this point, going through King of the Hill, I've seen at least a few Paul Lieberstein written episodes and they're fantastic. Nice. Yeah. And what else did he do? He was also a co-executive producer for 25 episodes of season six of the Drew Carey Show. Huh. Yeah. Also a producer for the third and final season of The Newsroom. Wow. Which was an Aaron Sorkin show. Yeah. Which is much different than the other shows that he's worked on. Paul Lieberstein, I mean. Yeah, that is true. As far as Aaron Sorkin goes, it's exactly like the other shows that Aaron Sorkin's done. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess if you're doing, you know, the producer end of stuff and not so much the writing or acting end, you know, I, I feel like it's probably more just kind of business and scheduling and yeah, you know, budgeting true. and stuff like that. Right. You're right. And in 2017, it was announced that Lieberstein is replacing Kevin Eaton or Eaton as showrunner of Ghosted. Hmm. Which I haven't, I had never heard of before. No, I, I have heard of it. I believe that's the Adam Scott and Craig Robinson show. Oh yeah, and on wasn't it, isn't it like on YouTube or something like that? No, it oh. was on Fox, mm-hmm. and it got canceled. Oh, yeah. Well, that's a shame. Yeah, that is a shame. I mean, I love Adam Scott and Craig Robinson, but uh, and Paul Lieberstein. And Paul Lieberstein, <laughs> although I don't even know how much of it he got to work on. Let's see. Yeah, maybe he was the showrunner the entire thing. Um, either way, didn't really go anywhere. Yeah. It's too bad. <clears throat> and more recently, <coughs> he wrote and directed his first... <laughs> and more recently, he wrote and directed his first feature film, The Song of Back and Neck, in 2018. Huh. which made it into the tribeca film festival you ever heard of that no me neither i want to check it out now yeah we have a lot of work to do <laughs> we got so much homework <laughs> we gotta check out everything we're that... only in episode two and gonna... <laughs> like the 14 yeah. main cast members of this one show have ever done yeah by the time we finish this it'll be like the 50th anniversary of the show yeah <laughs> <clears throat> sounds great so Lieberstein worked in the writer's room from the start of the U.S. adaptation of The Office, and Greg Daniels is the one who asked him to also act in it. And I guess uh, he wanted a number of the writers to act in it, which is probably why Mindy Kaling started acting in the show as well, because he wanted the writers to know what it was like on the other side of the camera. It makes sense. To help their writing process. And even Greg Daniels himself uh, got on the other side of the camera for one deleted scene, you know, a little down the line right there's a quote from paul lieberstein he said uh i think i see what you're referring to he attended the office's acting school yeah by steve carell's improv during scenes right yeah he was i don't think i have it in here 
Oh, okay. Oh, there was a more thorough quote. Yeah, there was a more thorough quote, but he he talks about just how not being a classically trained actor, how difficult it was for him to like roll with Steve Carell's improvisations and uh just how much respect he gained for his acting ability, you know, being in that position. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, especially with Steve and, you know, uh uh Paul's you know, dialogues back and forth. I mean, they're Which so there's, great. Yeah, there's a lot of back and forth between him and Toby. And, <laughs> and some of the deleted scenes of them are great too. And I wonder like what lines were improvised. Like there's, I can think uh, of one off the top of my head when uh, Toby, Paul, you know, opens the door to uh, Steve Carell's office and Steve Carell, Michael just looks up from his desk and says, oh, hey, Toby, can you shut the door on your way out? Just the first thing he says to him, and like immediately, Paul just breaks. And <laughs> they just both start laughing. That was another thing he mentioned: is how hard it was to hold it. It was to hold it together when Steve Carell was doing his improvs and stuff. Yeah, and he's just so mean to him. Yeah, yeah. Um, so in 2012, it was announced that Paul was going to be show running a spinoff from The Office, starring Rain Wilson as Dwight Schrute, called The Farm. But yeah. Later that year, uh, NBC decided that they would just weren't they weren't going to go that route, and the show never got produced. I have to assume that was probably as a result of uh, the ratings or maybe reaction to the episode. I think that was also called The Farm, where it was basically served as a as an episode of season nine. I want to say yeah. it served as kind of just like a soft opening promotional episode for that spinoff. It's too bad it didn't happen, too, because they actually had a pretty good ensemble going in that in that episode. They did. It yeah. would have been really interesting to see how long they could have kept that going. Yeah. And it was also kind of weird just in the chronology of The Office, because without you know going into too much detail to spoil things, it really sets up a plot trajectory for like the next several years to entirety of Dwight Schrute's life and what that's going to be. Yeah. And then the show just kind of sidesteps that. And it's like, well, you know, that's just not happening. So, right. Moving forward. It's true. So he won a couple of awards for the series. Um, he won the 2006 Screen Actors Guild Award for Outstanding Performance by an Ensemble in a Comedy Series. And as a writer, he shared the 2006 Writers Guild of America Award for the series. In addition to the WGA Award nomination for The Coup which is an episode title. Right. And as co-executive producer, he shared a 2006 Emmy Award for Outstanding Comedy Series. And he received an honorary doctorate of fine arts from Hamilton College in 2011. So I wonder if that means that he uh, did not graduate? Uh, or no, he did graduate. I was going to say. He, in economics, that's right. Yeah, but that. this is a an honorary doctorate. Right. So I don't know if he got his doctorate in economics. It's no, it looks yeah. like he got a degree, but probably a bachelor's. Right. Yeah. Maybe a master's. So moving on in the plot of the episode. Yeah, away from um, Toby. This, we're back in the conference room, Michael's Diversity Day Take Two. <laughs> and uh, he's got a video. Michael's got a video in which he. I'm oh, just too bad we didn't take a clip of this video. That would have been. I mean, we have a lot of clips, but that would have been great. Yeah, he invokes. <laughs> Folks, Abraham Lincoln saying, <laughs> if you were a racist, I will attack you with the North. <laughs> well, first he takes a knee and 
you yeah. very seriously, you know, quotes Abraham Lincoln as having said that. And he yeah. says, and those are the values those that are, he those are the principles that, yeah, I that he takes into the office today. <laughs> it's also funny to note that before um before Michael shows the video, he says, Don't take my word for it. Let's take a look at this tape. But on the tape, <laughs> it's just him talking. So but it's a tape, you know, that yeah. makes it official. There's also great uh, deleted scenes of uh, Dwight helping Michael shoot the diversity tomorrow mm-hmm. video where he keeps counting down for Michael and you know, just keeps throwing Michael off. And <laughs> yeah. you know, don't shake the camera. You're going to give everyone seasickness. <laughs> it's also funny because uh, after the video, Kevin raises his hand and says, it was kind of hard to hear. And Michael was agreed with Kevin. And he's like, yeah, I think it had something to do with the camera work. And the camera pans over to Dwight. You see him hang his head in shame. (laughs) (laughs) Poor Dwight. Uh, I love it. Gives Michael everything he has. Mm -hmm. Never gets anything back. (laughs) Also in the video, Michael tries to name his diversity training program, or does name his diversity training program, Diversity Tomorrow. Yeah. Today is almost over. Because today is almost over. But it's a juxtaposition (laughs) to what Mr. Brown's diversity program was called which is diversity today yeah and in the writer's room apparently they had a couple different names that they were planning on using uh one of which was diversity 360 which michael would have changed to diversity 365 (laughs) and there was also diversity 2000 which michael's would have been diversity 3000 nice so yeah you know michael is a big fan of coming up with names for things yeah (laughs) So during this meeting, uh, before they really get started into the meat of, of Michael's diversity training, Kelly asks to be excused because uh, she has a customer meeting, which is important because she comes back later, but hasn't been involved in their diversity training. Yes. So I just felt like I had to mention that right at this point. Yeah, well, she was there for the first part with Mr. Brown, but now she's right. you know, leaving. Yeah. To, she yeah. missed most of Michael's diversity training is what I'm getting at. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, we have Michael uh, Intr- decide to start his in-person presentation again, and uh, he uh, describes his ethnic breakdown. Do we right. have that in the clip? We do. Oh, okay. Why don't I just kind of introduce myself, Okay. Um, I am Michael, and I am part English, Irish, uh, German, and Scottish. Sort of a, a virtual United Nations. But what some of you might not know is that I am also part Native American Indian. What part Native American? Two-fifteenths. Two-fifteenths. That fraction doesn't make any sense. Well, you know what? It's kind of hard for me to talk about. It, they're suffering. So who else? Let's get this popping. Come on. Who's going? Who's going? Uh, let's go here. Oscar, right here. You're on. Oh, okay, Michael. Uh, uh, both my parents were born in Mexico. Oh, yeah. And uh, they moved to the United States a year before I was born. Yeah. So I grew up in the United States. Wow. And my parents were Mexican. Wow, that is, that is a great story. That's the American dream right there, right? Thank you, yeah. Um, let me ask you, is there a term besides Mexican that you prefer, something less offensive? Mexican isn't offensive. Well, it has certain connotations. Like what? Like, I don't, 
Well, I don't know. But what connotations, Michael? No, no, no. Must there, have no. Meant something. No. Now remember, I'm just, I'm just curious. Honesty. Well, yeah. Um, empathy. Respect. <laughs> it's hilarious to me that he flounders there and reverts back to Mr. Brown's diversity training. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, to be fair, diversity tomorrow was nothing. So unless he's going to quote yeah. Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> right. That's all he has to go. Although he could have, I guess, gone to the uh, the content from the deleted scene where Michael created his own uh, diversity acronym. Right. Incest. Incest. <laughs> you know what's funny about that? Those letters, the acronym could have been nicest. That's true. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Yeah, that didn't occur to Pam. She said insect. Insect, but right. Nicest would have worked. Yep. I just thought that was funny. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Um. So right after Michael and Oscar's exchange, uh, Jim hears his phone ring, immediately runs out of the conference room to try to answer it, but doesn't get there in time. Mm -hmm. Just can't make this big sale that he's been trying to make all day. It also seems like he doesn't come back in because I don't think he's present for, you know, what comes next. He's not there when the index cards are handed yeah, out. Yeah, I'll say that they have the deleted scene where he pops back in for a moment but and you see I, I you see him does. no you see him wandering around inside oh, okay. during he doesn't the, have a note card he doesn't have a note card though he's just kind of observing right um so yeah about the note cards michael hands them out to everybody they have a different what michael thinks of as ethnicities yeah. <laughs> on the cards some of which are not <laughs> right jamaican um, jamaican and then there's uh oscar's eskimo yeah, in, in, the, in the deleted scene, we see Devin was given one that says West Nile. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then Michael gives himself the Martin Luther King. Junior, right, yeah. which is not an ethnicity, he's a person. Well, no, but I think that was his point, you know, he wants yeah. to be, you he know, what he sees as the, yeah, the yeah. arbiter of racial politics, I guess. Right. And uh, he has a dream that people are really going to let the sparks fly. <laughs> Yeah, he wants people to just, you know, treat everyone like they're yeah. so everywhere that says on their card. <laughs> everyone puts their puts their card on their forehead without looking at it. Yeah. And the idea of the exercise is to go around and talk to various everyone or various people as if they're the ethnicity on the card on their forehead. Yeah. Which apparently I read is actually a diversity training exercise that professionals use. Really? Yeah seems like a really pointless exercise yeah. unless you're in an office full of some pretty racist and prejudiced people yeah exactly i feel like most people would go about it the way you see like stanley and phyllis doing it hi hello right all right yeah how you doing <laughs> <laughs> what are you gonna say to someone so here are some of those conversations um, hi, how are you? Fine, how are you? Great. Um, I admire your culture success in America. Thank you. Good. Bum, bum, ba, bum, bum. Come on, Olympics of suffering right here. Slavery versus the Holocaust. Come on. Let's, so am I supposed to be? It's going to percolate. No, no, no. Well, that, that was inadvertent. We didn't actually plan that. Lots of cultures eat rice. It doesn't help me. Um, shalom. I'd like to apply for a loan. That's nice, Dwight. Okay, do me. Something stereotypical so I can get it really quick. Okay, I like your food. Uh, Outback Steakhouse. I'm Australian, mate. Pam. No. Pam, come on. I like your food. No, come on. Stir the pot. Stir the melting pot, Pam. Let's do it. Let's get ugly. Let's get real. Okay. If I have to do this, 
based on stereotypes that are totally untrue, that I do not agree with, you would maybe not be a very good driver. Oh, man, am I a woman? Hey. Hey. You want to go to the beach? Sure. You want to get high? No. I think you do, Mon. Stop. Okay, all right, no. All right, that's good. It, you, you just, you need, you need to push it. You know, you need to go a little bit further. <laughs> I don't know how much further Kevin could have gone there. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what, yeah, Michael thinks can be very hateful that's said about yeah. Jamaicans, especially because we come to find out Michael's, you know, love of Jamaica, or at least beach resorts in right. Jamaica. Beach resorts in Jamaica. <laughs> the largest. <laughs> it's kind of an impoverished country. Yeah. You know, Jamaica, they don't do inventory. They just sit around all day, <laughs> relax on the beach. <laughs> <laughs> oh man i love how he's like trying to cheerlead hate speech out of these people yeah nobody's push going it. No, for push it. it yeah and, like <laughs> people are too polite to do it olympics of suffering slavery versus holocaust <laughs> <laughs> yeah in case you didn't pick up on it stanley's card said black yeah <laughs> michael said yeah that wasn't that wasn't on purpose right. <laughs> um i think stanley stopped playing after that exchange too, oh yeah he just, took off his card yeah and uh, so we cut to Jim going over to Pam's desk where Ryan's sitting for whatever reason. He had downloaded episodes of Chappelle's show onto Pam's computer only because her computer had space for it. Well, it seems like in the early episodes, Ryan is excluded from a lot of the staff meetings because he's a temp. Just a temp. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Fair enough. And they're watching an episode of Chappelle's show and Ryan says she's cute, right? To Jim. And Jim says, well, yeah, but she's also engaged. So, And Ryan corrects him, and he's like, oh, no, I meant the girl in the sketch. And Jim's like, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, she is. And you know what's interesting? There is a sketch on Chappelle's show where Rashida Jones is playing the part of, of I don't remember what her part is, but she's huh. in the show. So it's possible that Ryan was watching it and referring to rashida jones when when he said she's cute interesting yeah well, maybe it's an alternate universe where uh you know acting just didn't really pan out for her so she changed her name to karen filipelli and karen filipelli went, <laughs> went to go sell paper for a mid-sized paper company in stamford connecticut yeah <laughs> and if it is her ryan does attempt to uh pick her up several points when she's actually oh, yeah. in the show yeah Although he kind of attempts to pick up, well, not everyone, but everyone that uh, Jim is involved with at any point. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Starting with Katie in a few episodes. Mm -hmm. um, so irritated that no one's really pushing the envelope in his diversity day <laughs> exercise, Kelly comes back to the conference room after her customer meeting, and Michael uses her as an example of what he thinks other people should be doing to... Uh, really get the conversation going before he does that doesn't she say something michael starts <laughs> doing a very exaggerated indian accent yeah i feel like it's like apu on acid right that's <laughs> that's definitely what he's going for Kelly! 
How are you? I just have the longest meeting. Oh, welcome to my convenience store. Would you like some googie googie? Well, I have some very delicious googie googie. Only 99 cents plus tax. Try my googie googie. Try my googie googie. Try my googie googie. Try my. All right. All right. Yes. That was great. She gets it. Now she knows what it's like to be a minority. <laughs> Man, that was really offensive. Yeah. <laughs> it was uh it was pretty bad. Pretty bad. <laughs> so uh that's the first time that uh Michael gets slapped in the office. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've actually got a little trivia question for you. Okay. You're so inclined. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Yeah. How many times does Michael get slapped Ooh. in the office and by who? I can think of three. So I guess I already spoiled the how many times. But uh, So that's accurate? Three times? I don't know. That's all I can think of. Hmm. I tried looking up to see uh, if there's any more. And it looks like three is pretty much all that I'm uh, I'm finding. Two of them seemed kind of obvious to me. One of them I didn't think of, but then, you know, right when I, I saw it, immediately could picture it in my head. I don't think Jan ever slapped him. No, I don't think so. Not that we see. No. I mean, we could probably assume that she does a lot. I mean. Right, punches him. I was going to say Jan verbally slaps him repeatedly. Yeah. But. Well, when they're in a relationship, I would not be. I would be surprised if she wasn't physically abusive to Michael. Yeah, maybe. I mean, she did more, make him more sleep on that bench at the me. foot of his bed. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Well, can you think of, uh, besides Kelly in this episode, anybody? I mean, there's it's, one yeah. major, It's one is a, a big plot point of an episode. I can give you a hint. It wasn't supposed to be a slap. It was planned out, and it was supposed to be a punch. Yeah, it's not coming to me. Oh, man. Ham. Oh, yeah. As Michael saw her giant right. hand flying towards his face, his <laughs> life passed before his eyes. That's and right. you know what? He has three kids, and he's a millionaire. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, the other one was Dwight, and uh, I think it was in the Ticket episode of season five. And it was as part of a joke. Okay. It's the KGB. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> they wait for no one <laughs> but yeah michael gets slapped a lot not as much as he deserves but no, definitely not. several times so moving on from there jim finally gets a hold of mr deckhart only to find out that someone else in the office has already made his sale and it seems like gave mr deckhart a better deal than jim was able to get him that's right jim was trying to make him pay one percent more for recycled products but yeah he got greedy but Dwight swooped in. And uh, yeah, he said that's another salesperson's employee code. And he doesn't blame him. And uh, yeah, just puts the little mini champagne bottle on Dwight's desk for him. Yeah, a symbol of his concession. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we move from here. Uh, Jim, you know, I guess abandons his attempted quarter of the year salary sale and goes back into the racial awareness diversity meeting that's still going on and michael <laughs> at this point is very humbled by the slap that 
Kelly just administered to his face. Yeah, his his energy level has like, you know, a quarter of what it was the whole rest of the episode. <laughs> yeah. And he's sitting in front of everyone just kind of talking about why he decided to do his own version of diversity training and <laughs> that he just felt like Mr. Brown didn't really get everyone in the office and <laughs> and is looking back at his own mistakes throughout the day and basically said like, ah, I should have gotten food. <laughs> Man, I should have gotten some food. Maybe some spaghetti. Okay, Kevin, you can take off that thing, okay? That would really, really shown him up, wouldn't it? If I brought in some burritos or some colored greens or some pad thai. I love pad thai. It's collard greens. What? It's collard greens. Uh, it doesn't really make sense. Because you don't call them collared people. That's offensive. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh, man. He's trying so hard. I love that Michael brings up uh, pad thai and that he loves pad thai. You've never had pad thai. Yeah. No, he hasn't. <laughs> and we find that out, what, five years after this, more or less? <laughs> yeah. Conversation between him and Ryan. Yeah. Ryan was talking about his trip to Thailand, which he never went on. Yeah. <laughs> Spoilers, Rob. Oh, that's <laughs> not a big plot point. So did Ryan even, did he dye his hair or was it bleached naturally from the sun? <laughs> that was definitely dye. Yeah, of course. <laughs> oh. I mean, even Pam's not buying it. <laughs> so but, dur- during that last scene in the conference room, you couldn't see it, but while Michael was talking about food, Pam slowly dozed off and... Her head gently landed on Jim's shoulder, who was sitting next to her. And Jim has this moment of, I don't know what you'd call it, bliss. Yeah, just joy. Yeah. And like, I don't know, yeah, just very wholesome. Like, yeah, it's very innocent. It's just like a really nice little moment. And Right. I feel like it's the first time that the show kind of get, makes it abundantly clear. I mean, it, well, I guess we have the scene with Ryan and Jim and Jim kind of getting a little defensive on Pam's behalf about her engagement status when he perceives someone else might be interested in her. Right. But besides that and like the flirting from the first episode, like, yeah, I feel like this is kind of the first indication that like Jim, like is really into this person. He right. really you know, cares about her. Yeah. And yeah, it gives a little smile and then we get a talking head of Jim where he's, uh, you know, saying not a bad day, even though he didn't make his sale. That <laughs> yeah, he 25. lost twenty five percent of his salary. Right, but the girl he likes, you know, rested her head on his shoulder for a moment. Right, and he also kind of, you know, like when the meeting adjourns and she's still sleeping on his shoulder, he waits until everyone else is out of the room before yeah. being like, "Hey," you know, really savors the moment. Yeah, we can go. Yeah, and that's the end of episode two. Yeah. Credits roll. What would you uh, rate this episode? Well, let's see. I think I would give this episode nine and a half googie googies out of ten. Nine and a half? I think so. Wow. Honestly, this is probably in my top ten. Really? Yeah. 
Wow. I think so. Yeah. No, I'm not. I, I don't. I mean, I don't think I'd agree necessarily personally, yeah. but I, you know, to each I just, their own. It's a great episode. I just think that the way that the episode is structured and the way that racism is handled is just very smart. That's true. Yeah. It might not be in my top 10 because I think it's like funnier than most other episodes. I just think it's really well put together, really well done. Very nice. Yeah. Yeah. That's a strong rating. So let's see. You're going to go with nine and a half googie googies out of 10. (laughs) (laughs) I think I'm going to be maybe a little less generous than you with my ratings. And I think I'm going to give this episode seven and a half Oprah moments out of 10. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. And uh, yeah, I I don't have any problems with this episode. Maybe I'm rating it too low. I don't know. I mean, I feel like that's still a pretty solid rating when it comes down to it. But there's just so many episodes coming up and, you know, I don't know about this season, probably some in this season, but especially the seasons moving forward that just are just in my head forever. And like, I feel like I, I try to think like how excited I would be if like one of them was randomly being put on somewhere I was versus this one. I feel like I would definitely be happy to watch this and would never turn it off or leave if it came on. But uh, yeah, I would say because the characters haven't been fully developed, it's it doesn't play off their personalities so much as it is just a, like a standalone. I don't know where I'm going with this, <laughs> but but no, you're right. I mean, yeah. the characters haven't really been developed. Right. 100% yet so which is where a lot of the humor in this show comes from and, and this is yeah it's definitely an ensemble show right and the humor in this episode was more racially derivative than character and i feel like yeah also very like michael driven and i mean a lot of the episodes are very michael driven but i feel like as the show goes on you know he kind of gets less of the focus directly on him and it's split more evenly among the rest of the cast members yeah but yeah, all around great episode. Really solid. Yeah. Hey, paper people, we want to hear from you guys. Drop us a line. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash outofpaperpod. You can follow our Instagram feed at outofpaperpod. Or hit us up on Twitter at opaperpod, which to me sounds like O-Tenenbaum, but Twitter just assigned us this name and now we're stuck with it. So thanks, Twitter. All right, guys, that's it. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Out of Paper. Yeah. And uh, we'll see you all next week. Yeah. We'll see you next time. Good night and good luck. Out of Paper is not endorsed by DLD Productions or NBC and is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The Office, the Office logo, and all character, pictures, and audio of The Office are registered trademarks and or copyrights of their registered copyright holders.